Okay, you guys, here we go. She Runs Ultras episode number 82. And this is the one that you guys have been waiting for. The Tahoe 200 recap episode. Man, oh man, this is going to be a long one. So long, in fact, that I'm actually sitting down to record this one when usually I do all of these standing. Hopefully you saved this one for your long run or your commute. Who knows how long this is going to take. So first and foremost, I want to kick things off by saying... I finished the damn thing. It took me 96 hours and change, which is actually kind of like about 10 hours more than I expected. But as I go through this, I think that you'll see why. And in preparation for this episode, I came to the conclusion that the best way to recap it would just be to go through it day by day. It's actually also the best way for me to remember what happened in this sort of logical sequence. And I sat down and wrote it out to make sure that I could refresh my memory and so that I wouldn't forget anything because 96 hours is a long time, especially when you're kind of sleep deprived. So that's how we're going to do this. I'm going to walk you through the experience. And uh, I don't know if you guys heard from the previous episode, but I recorded a bunch of voice memos myself Adam, Frank, we recorded all these different voice memos um, to document the experience, and I'm going to insert them in the places where it makes sense. So hopefully by the end, the whole thing will come together and you'll have a really accurate picture of how things progressed and some of the nuance of running 200 miles. So, and at the very end, Um, I'm going to answer all the questions that you guys submitted via Instagram. So I put it out on my stories the other day that I'd be recording this episode and I wanted to know what you guys wanted to know, if there's anything specific that you wanted me to cover. And I got a ton of really great responses, some of which will be answered by just listening to this episode and some that I think sort of need a little bit more detail. So let's just go ahead and dive right in. Everything starts on the Wednesday before the race. So the race started on Friday. Wednesday, my husband and I took a flight from Boston to Reno, and we got there late, like 11 o'clock at night. We got our rental car, and we drove like the 45 minutes to the Airbnb. We got in there. Frank was actually already there. He'd been there for a few days. Frank is my friend and pacer. And he'd actually been there for a couple days running and sort of scouting things out and getting the lay of the land. So Wednesday was kind of like the first day everything started, but Thursday really was the first full day that we were there in Lake Tahoe, in the Lake Tahoe region. Um, And that's when everything really needed to come together because it was Thursday and the race started on Friday. So got up around 7 a.m. local time, went to go get some coffee and just sort of had like a leisurely start to the morning because we'd gotten in so late the last uh, the night before. Packet pickup didn't start until noon, so we had some time to kill. And so I used the morning to start packing my drop bag. So There were a bunch of different aid stations on this course, and you could put uh, drop bags at only specific ones. So some were only reserved for race staff, no crew. Some were crew and race staff, and some were crew, staff, drop bags, the whole nine yards. They were sleep stations. So there was sort of a 
a method to the madness on how you went about attacking this race, whether you had crew or you were doing it by yourself. And so that really dictated where you were going to put your drop bags. Because I had crew and because I had pacers, I settled on the fact that I was just going to put one drop bag at a place called Tunnel Creek. And because this was an out and back course, I would see it twice. So in the grand scheme of things, there are one, two, three, four, five, six aid stations, um, technically five with Heavenly being the turnaround point at a hundred miles. Um, and so when you got to Heavenly, you would just reverse the course and see all of those same aid stations. So I chose to put a drop bag at Tunnel Creek, which was mile 65 and mile 135. And this was a strategic move because crew can't get to that aid station. So it was just race staff um, providing aid there and your drop bag. So that was sort of the method to our madness on where the drop bag would go because there was a basically a 40 mile stretch from Tunnel Creek to Heavenly where I could pick up a pacer, but they couldn't bring me anything. So it's kind of hard to describe. You really sort of have to look at the graph and maybe what I'll do is post it someplace so you can see it um, because it's not immediately apparent what you should do as far as the strategy for this race goes. And we spent a lot of time as a crew trying to decide where, where I would pick up Frank, where Adam would be, you know, where my drop bag would be. And so this is the strategy that we sort of settled on having no idea if this was going to work or not. It was our best guess at what we were going to do. So I packed the drop bag. Um, I'll go into a little bit about what was in the drop bag later, but we ended up getting over to Homewood, which is the start of the race around 1.30 for packet pickup. And that basically entails getting your number, getting your pre-race photo taken and doing a med check, a medical check. Like they want to have a look at you, ask you some questions and just get a general sense for, you know, are you healthy or do you have any pre-existing conditions that they're going to want to keep an eye on over the course of the race? So Frank was actually volunteering over there. So Adam and I went over and met up with uh, my friend, Ben, who I talked about before, who I intended to run the race with. Like our strategy was to team up and run this race together. And so we talked a little bit about our strategy for the next four days, talked about drop bags and all that jazz. So we got all the sort of housekeeping stuff out of the way. And then we ended up leaving there and going to the grocery store to get a couple supplies and then back to the condo. So I didn't really want to be out all day. We could have definitely done some sightseeing and all sorts of other stuff, but I really wanted to get back to the condo, finish packing my bag, my, um, my drop bag, which did not need to be dropped off until the morning of the race. There were other drop bags for other locations that you needed to have brought that day. And, uh, funnily enough, the, the, the method to the madness there was uh, those early drop bags needed to be kept safe 
um, because of bears. So if you were bringing a drop bag, you needed to, for, for the first couple of aid stations, you needed to bring it the, the day before so they could pack it away and keep it safe. If you were doing later drop bags, you would bring them on the day of the race because they had to travel a far distance. So you didn't need to bring them ahead of time. Like they had ample time to get ahead of you. So we ended up just going back to the condo we went to the grocery store first to get some stuff for dinner and I had my normal, which is just like pasta and salad and bread. And, um, when Frank was done volunteering, we all met back at the condo and did a little bit of talk about race strategy. So I'll actually, uh, the next thing you're going to hear is a voice memo that I took of all of us, like sitting around kind of talking about, what we were going to do. So I guess we should just listen to that now and we can talk about it on the other side. Okay. So as promised, we said we would do some voice memos to document the process. So I figure it's Thursday night. We should just give people a rundown of what we've been up to. So we're getting punchier. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've only been over the gear list 16 times. So I'm stuck in a couch. <laughs> so today was packet pickup, check in, you know, get get all your stuff, get all your ducks in a row. So Frank volunteered all day. And I sold stuff. <laughs> you did merch. You were on merch duty. And packed up. Got a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, it's, you know, packing up all the aid stations and and sold stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you you know what's going to happen yeah. at all the different aid stations. And I spent the day getting my stuff, doing med check, getting my photo taken, and then we came back here and we started the process of making sure that we've got all the gear in the right places and walking through the strategy using the race estimator spreadsheet, trying to figure out pace, average pace, and when I'll be where. And that's where Adam comes in because he is... Stuck in the couch. <laughs> stuck in the couch. <laughs> Currently stuck in a couch. Not sure he's going to be able to make it to any of the aid stations, but... Adam's job is to follow me around, keep track of all my stuff, and keep track of me, and point me in the right directions coming into and out of aid stations. I think that brings us to now. What am I forgetting? <laughs> We're doing a voice memo. We're do- a couch we can't get out. Oh my goodness. I'm glad I'm not in that couch right now. It's just the two of you. Just you guys being swallowed up by this massive couch that's in our condo that is quite large. That's going to be the highlight of this trip. This yeah. couch. No. No, it's not. Sorry, we missed you. We were stuck in the couch. <laughs> All right. So, what are you, Frank, what are you most looking forward to? You've already run, I should preface this with, Frank has already run some sections of the course and he knows all the aid station locations. I'm basically going in blind. (laughs) I haven't seen, except for the first vertical 500 yards of the start, I haven't seen any of the course. Yeah, I've I've already started out 
all the eight stations and some of the course. The first five or so miles of the start and then a few other spots uh, around the aid stations. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've seen a fair amount already. And then, what am I looking forward to? I don't know, just doing it. I don't think there's any one specific thing I'm looking forward to on this. Really, it'll be fun. The whole thing, you want the yeah. whole experience. I got to volunteer, so I got some behind the scenes stuff, and now we're crewing and gonna do some pacing at night. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be the important part. Chase away cougars, or yep, that's also an important part. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a good time. I'm excited. I'm hesitant to ask Adam, but what is <laughs> what is gonna be your favorite part about this whole process <laughs> that you kind of got roped into? <laughs> I think my. I do part. just want to say that I have crewed you at many a mountain bike race, so I feel like here's what I here's how I view this. Not that anyone cares, but like I view this like I banked up a lot of crewing <laughs> at all those races, and I'm cashing in all of those crewing hours for this. If we want to talk about total hours, we've got three ghost chains already. So your bank is empty. No, but see, like, I I bank up a lot of hours total from from all previous, all the previous stuff. Why don't you just tell us what you're most excited about? Because <laughs> I don't think this is going to go in my favor. I'm most excited for the race to start. Nerves to go away. Race has started. It's you're nervous? No, everyone's. Yeah. It's just... Yes. Everyone is nervous. It's a lot. Yeah, I think like we said earlier, once we get the first, I even think once we get the first 50 miles done, we'll have a better idea of what needs to happen. I'm also excited about my new hoodie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we're all, I mean, we each have our own responsibilities that basically we haven't done, we've never done this before. Mm -hmm. None of us, so. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm kind of nervous because I got responsibilities. Yeah. <laughs> I'm nervous to mess something up. Yeah, not I think that's be where thing. I'm supposed to be. I think having the tracking is going to be helpful, and then you know, with me texting you guys when I'm in and out of the aid stations will help. Because, you know, the tracking is, I mean, it's a spot tracker. It's going to be pretty reliable. So. My thing is, if, if I was just doing this on my own and I screwed up, that's on me. But if I screw up on this, it's going to mess up somebody else. Yeah, and I think that's that's the part I'm nervous about is just not. But there's just as much likelihood that I could screw it up. Yeah. You know, that's so. That's you. And that's yeah. on me. <laughs> that's you. That's not us. But I'm okay. I mean, that. I'm okay screwing myself over, but nah, I don't want to do anything to anybody else. Well, I don't think, like, you this know, is a big deal, so. aside from, aside from not being at an aid station oh, that was... at the appropriate time, like, I don't, you know, I don't see how. I think that's what's got me the most stressed is not being able to just stay there until you come in. Yeah. From whenever I get yeah. there. Yeah, because that's different, because that's always what you've done before yeah. is just hang out there. 
So the fact that you have to be, for context, I don't think they know, but like crew can't be at the aid station more than 30 minutes in advance of when the runner arrives. So they have to really pay attention to where I am and, you know, it's not like they can hang out there. So they sort of have to time it accordingly. So. And I don't like conflict. So if someone tells me to leave, I might just cry. <laughs> That's what you got me for. <laughs> I'll wear my volunteer shirt. We're good. <laughs> yeah, there we go. See, we got this figured out. Okay, well, I am going to go send out an email now with the tracking to everybody. And then I'm going to go to bed. We're going to try to get out of the couch. Yeah. I might sleep. Am I going to have to hoist you both out of this couch before I do anything else? You've got to add a picture of the couch. Okay. All right. We'll add a picture of the couch to the show notes. Actually, I should probably just end this recording and take a picture of you guys right now. I don't know if I can do the two things at once, but I'm going to, I'm going to try. I think I can. I don't know that I can get you both in the same. Okay. From the couch. Nope. No love. Nothing. (laughs) okay done well i took a picture of you in the couch like you requested all right so long we'll talk to you tomorrow (laughs) that's all for thursday night we'll post updates as we'll get behind the scenes updates Mm. yes Okay, so as you can hear, everyone was a little punchy. We were sort of at the tail end of our strategy meeting and just sort of recapping things. A couple quick things I want to reinforce is, you know, um, that note I said about the spot tracker being reliable. We're going to come back to that in a second. And the whole idea that the crew couldn't be at the aid stations more than 30 minutes in advance. So that was... um, That's because there were so many crews, so many people, that if they were, they would have just overwhelmed many of the locations. It's not like they were in these huge parks. They were oftentimes little parking lots or places on the side of the road that just couldn't accommodate that many people. So just keep that in mind. Um, So I did end up getting to bed around 8 p.m. And surprisingly, I slept really well. I actually wasn't nervous, you know, just being there having gotten to the place, like arrived, gotten my number and gotten some of those logistical things out of the way, I felt really good. So I slept really well right up until about 2 a.m. when what I'm calling the big bang happened. (laughs) So I was sleeping sort of lightly and then we had this slider door in our Airbnb and it was open because none of the houses there have air conditioning. You just open all the windows at night to help cool the place down. So we had the, we were on the second floor. We had this sliding glass door open and at 2 a.m. there was this massive bang. Like, like I thought it was a gunshot or it wasn't a firework. Like I couldn't quite make out what it was, but it was loud. Um, and nobody else heard it. (laughs) Which I will allude to in the next voice memo. But basically, I tried to talk to Frank about it the next morning, and he thought it was him. He thought that when he tried to sort of do the same thing, like roll over and open his window, when he whacked his foot on the nightstand, he thought that's what I heard. But when we timed up the timeline of events, like what time that actually happened, it was like at 9 p.m., not 2 a.m. So the mystery is unsolved. I have no idea what woke me up at 2 a.m. So basically from 2 to 5, I was sort of not able to go to sleep because I just couldn't wrap my brain around what this noise was. And then I thought like, 
oh gosh, there's like a bear in the parking lot trying to get into the dumpster. And like, who knows? My mind was going all sorts of crazy places. So I didn't really sleep that well from two to five, but I got basically, I got up at 5 a.m. the next morning on Friday, race day, and I recorded this voice memo. It's 5.20 on race morning. And I slept so well right up until 2 a.m. when this huge boom happened outside. I don't know if it was a gunshot, a firework. I didn't sound like a firework. I don't know what it was. It was just this huge resonating boom. And so I've been tossing and turning for the last two to three hours. I really tried. It was unfortunate because I was really sleeping so well. But um, I'm about to jump in the shower, get dressed, have some breakfast. Um, we're going to try to be over at the start area a little bit around 7.30, 7.45. Got to drop off my drop bag, get my spot, meet up with Ben, and start the race. Surprisingly, I am... Not very nervous. I'm sort of neutral right now, and I'm sure that the nerves will hit when I get there, but I feel pretty good. And I'm just looking at this like it's a four day <laughs> march through the woods. Um, I feel much better now after last night when we went through all of my stuff and my drop bag, and Adam and Frank and I talked about who was going to be where at what time. So yeah, so I'm just, I think I'm just mostly excited to get this thing started. So, but first things first, shower, because it's going to be the last one I have for four days. (laughs) So I took that shower. Um, Side note, I didn't even bother to wash my hair because (laughs) it wasn't going to make sense. It was just going to instantly get dirty. So I showered, changed, um, got dressed, I tried to eat, um, had to do it sort of in small doses because my nerves did sort of kick in a little bit and my stomach was just a little queasy. So I, while I was doing another run through of my pack, the one I was going to wear, I sort of took a couple bites and then went through my pack some more, so on and so forth. So I did manage to get down uh, an English muffin and a banana, which is pretty typical for me pre-race. That's kind of like my standard go-to. I even took a picture, <laughs> I took a picture of it to to prove. Um, We rounded up all the stuff for my drop bag and for the bag that was going to live in the car that had all of my extra stuff. So anything that wasn't in my drop bag and I what that wasn't physically on my body, extra layers, extra socks, all the stuff was going to live in this big, huge bag. The one that's like big enough for me to actually get into. And it was going to stay in the car so that anytime I met up with my crew, that I had everything that I could possibly want. So drove to the start, got there around 745. Adam graciously took my drop bag and put it in the designated spot. And then I had to get in line to actually get my spot tracker, which is the little device that you guys actually used to track me during the race. Um, and it was really primarily for the race staff so that they could make sure that I didn't get lost and that I was going in the right direction. So, you know, on one of those random nights when I was super tired that I didn't 
make a wrong turn and go way off course. But as a general aside, it served really well because you guys could also follow me. So um, because we were there so early, we had some time to sort of hang out and get acclimated. And this is when I started to just sort of like get into this real calm. I didn't have any more nerves. I wasn't like worried at all. I was just really excited to get started. People started to arrive and it got really hectic. So I was actually glad that we got there early because the line for spot trackers got really, really long. Like everybody waited until the last minute to do that, which I'm excited that we didn't. Um, And so in the 15 minutes leading up to the start, Ben and I actually recorded this voice memo. And I think you actually hear Frank and Adam chime in here as well. So let's listen to the 15 minutes to go voice memo. Because it's like 15 minutes from the start. We have all our stuff. You got your spot device. We got our numbers. We are packed. We are ready to go. How are you feeling? Nervous. (laughs) But ready. But ready. Nervous but ready. What are you most looking forward to? Um, just getting out there and having fun. I guess. It's I'm ready to go. Yeah, I know. We said the same thing last night. Just like all the build up, all the anticipation. I'm actually not even really nervous anymore. Like I'm just excited to get going going, once you're I think I feel like once you're here and you see everybody else and you get checked in you look like you have something to add no no (laughs) oddly enough I'm nervous and I don't know why (laughs) the rest of us the runners are good the pacers house crew I'm just here so I don't get fired (laughs) (laughs) what would you get fired from All right, so the plan is we're going to try and do some more of these over the course of the race because it was a big hit when we did it during Ghost Train. So I think it will help to sort of document because I guarantee there's going to be, we're going to lose track of time. Oh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) We're we're going to forget things. We're going to lose track of time. And it was fun for me when I went back and did the Ghost Train episode to listen to the notes because I was like, oh, right, that was the part where that happened or that was the part when like this happened so i'm excited to to do that ready yes ready let's go okay i need so i'm sure that you guys heard in the background but there was a ton of wind the weather for the first three days was actually idyllic at least for me it was forecasted to be in the 50s and windy for the day um, and actually for the first couple of days and then it was going to heat up into the 70s by Monday and Tuesday so a couple you know a couple days down the line so I didn't have to worry about that for a couple days and the nights were supposed to be down into the 30s and actually it would get a little bit lower than that as we went up in altitude so I mean I can't complain these were ideal conditions for me because that's what I'm most used to running in here in New Hampshire. Other people were sort of, uh, you know, most of like the West Coast people and the Southern people were a little distraught over this because it was a little colder than they would have liked, but um, it was, it was perfect for me. So I had all the right clothes um, and it was really the, the warmer temperatures that I was worried about, but that was, it seemed so far away, like three days away. I was like, I'll just deal with that when, um, when it comes. So 
about 10 minutes before the race started, we moved over to the actual like starting gate. And then, you know, it seemed to happen quickly. The countdown began and the race started promptly at 9am. And uh, I think we mentioned this at the beginning, but the first leg of the race is 10 miles and the start is basically uphill. You go, you literally go up the side of the Homewood Ski Resort, um, which is challenging, but it's also a nice way to start because you're forced to walk slash power hike. I didn't see anybody maybe save for like one or two people that were running from the start. So I did my usual thing. I put myself at the back of the pack and it worked out nicely for me since one of my main concerns was altitude. So I was forced to sort of slow down and just gradually warm myself up. So I noticed that I was slightly out of breath, but I was never you know, gasping for breath. It was challenging for me to breathe, but it it wasn't, it wasn't a real struggle. So I just sort of took it easy for the first two days to acclimate, but also bank some time and get ahead of the cutoffs for, excuse me, for each of the aid stations. Um, because what happens is every every aid station has a time cut off a day and a time where you have to be through that aid station by that specific time in order not to get pulled from the race. So the first leg, like I said, is 10 miles and, ha- and it had one of the tighter cutoffs. I think it was like four hours to go 10 miles, which might not sound all that difficult, but the terrain is pretty challenging. The first two miles are essentially uphill. Um, and then you're traversing an exposed ridge with some serious snowpack. There was a ton of snow still left up there. And, um, then you run a pretty steep downhill to the aid station with some terrain that you have to navigate, like more snow, more rocks, more scrambling. So, Ben and I made it there to the first aid station with about 45 minutes to spare on the cutoff, which was essentially our plan. So we were like right on point with that. We hit up the aid station, paused to address our feet, and then we were off. Like we didn't want to spend a ton of time there. I think we said like 10 to 12 minutes and on the nose, that's what we did. Um, if you guys know, or like we're following my struggles in the lead up to this event, you know about all the packs that I went through to try to find the right one. And I landed on the Solomon um, Advanced Skin 12 liter. So I actually put a two liter bladder from another pack and the two 500 milliliter flasks that come with that Solomon pack in it. And so all totaled, I was capable of carrying well, technically four liters of water because I also had my Katahdin filter. But on any given day and time, I was carrying three liters of fluid, which worked out nicely because in the first 10 miles, I drained that two liter bladder of tailwind, which was my plan because I wanted, like I was dry. I felt parched the second I landed in Reno because it's just so much higher and it's so much drier than I'm used to. So I was pounding water all the way from Boston to Reno. And then basically I never stopped drinking the whole five or six days that we were there. So that was my plan. Drain the bladder, which was a really strong mix of tailwind. So I felt like that would start me out on the right foot. So my two flasks pretty much ended up being a backup or reserve throughout the race. And they were mostly filled with water in the later stages of the race. I actually filled one of them with ginger ale, which was like super helpful. But um, I viewed those sort of as my backup or my reserve. So um, so the first aid station is called Stephen Jones, and it was mile 
10 and mile 190. So people, some people did put drop bags here and had stuff that they wanted for the return trip. Like I said, I did not put a drop bag here, but here's where I did make my first mistake. And that mistake was that I didn't take enough calories from the aid station for the next leg, which was 20 miles. So while I was there, I had a PB&J, I had a banana, and I had some calories on me plus a full bladder of tailwind. So I topped off that bladder at the aid station. But by the time that I got to Tahoe City, which was the next aid station, I was in desperate need of food. Um, I did not calculate well on the food front. And so that was a mistake that I actually repeated again, but I did learn from that mistake. So here is the voice memo that I recorded leaving that first aid station, Stephen Jones. Okay, it is 1230. Day one, we just went through the first aid station at mile 10. Ben, how do you feel? I'm feeling really good, <laughs> actually. Uh, good, nice breeze out here. <laughs> yeah, the wind is incredible, which is actually twofold positive because it's pushing away all the bugs and it keeps us nice and cool. Um, broke my hat within the first 10 miles, lost the clasp. <laughs> Luckily, I had a safety pin. What else? What else did we do? Rode down some snow. Oh, yeah, we rode some snow. <laughs> uh, there was some snowpack that was needed to be traversed, and so we rode the snowpack down. The views were pretty epic, I do have to say. We went down just as much as we went up, and now we're headed to the second aid station at mile 30-ish. That's the first time I get to see crew. And so this is 20 miles to the next aid station. We're just doing a solid power walk. I had a about a whole banana and a PB&J sandwich. So that's got <laughs> that's got to settle for a little bit. Yeah. I don't know, I'm feeling pretty good. We we did our feet, changed socks, did all the necessary things. We've been hydrating. I almost went through two liters of water. My bladder was pretty empty. What about you? What have you gone through? A uh, liter and a half. A liter and a half, yeah. So, pretty solid, pretty dry up here. <sighs> Any other parting words? We'll see you in the next one. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be fun. So you can sort of tell by that voice memo, like our spirits are really high. It's the first, you know, 10 10 or so miles of the race, everything is hunky-dory, like everything is going great. So it's kind of fun to listen back on these voice memos and sort of hear how I was doing at each of the individual points along the way. So yeah, we basically cruised through that first 10 miles. It was a lot of fun. I did break my hat, which I was so pissed about. Like I tried, I didn't want to lose it on this ridge because the wind was blowing so crazy. So I tightened it down and then I realized it was putting like a lot of pressure on my head. So I took it off and I was trying to loosen it and I just pulled too hard and the whole clasp snapped and went flying off into the woods. We spent like maybe two minutes trying to look for it. And then I was like, fuck it, forget it. I have a safety pin. So to this day, it's still safety pinned. It lasted the entire race with that same safety pin. So um, I guess I got all of my bad luck out within the first <laughs> within the first 10 miles. So uh, the next leg was Stephen Jones to Tahoe City, 20 miles. Um, 
and we kind of cruised through this section without any issues as well. It was like pretty easy going. Um, I have to admit that I don't remember every single feature in every single section. I tried my hardest to really, this is why I broke it up in this way because you know, I, I ran from aid station to aid station. And so I can remember certain points along the way. Um, but this one was of no consequence. Like it was pretty easy. Um, the weather, like I said, was great. I guess I should mention sort of what I was wearing for context. I chose to go with three quarter length leggings, which was actually a good call because as we got higher, it got colder, a short sleeve shirt with my sun sleeves, a lightweight marmot windbreaker with a hood that the infamous trucker hat, um, my sun gloves, which were fingerless gloves, which were great. I basically wore them the entire race, except for when it was nighttime and cold. I had a buff as well. And then in my pack, I had all the other required gear stuff that was um, mandatory for us to carry, including long pants that covered my legs, a jacket with a hood, which for me, this was actually also my raincoat, a cold weather hat and gloves, extra calories, a bivy sack, first aid stuff, my water filter, and a few other miscellaneous things. So if you think that sounds like a lot, it was. (laughs) Um, In addition to the water, I think... Um, all totaled, I should say. I think my pack weighed probably between 10 and 12 pounds. I didn't actually weigh it, but it was a decent, it was a decent weight. It was a, it was a pretty heavy pack. But, um, so like I mentioned, not only did I take voice memos during this time, but also Frank and Adam recorded some voice memos. So, uh, the next thing you're going to hear is a voice memo that Frank recorded that was somewhere around race mile 12. So we are uh, four, a little over four hours into the race. Um, Adam and I are sitting at somewhere around 12 miles. And we've run into our first snafu. So Megan's spot tracker is not updating. And it hasn't updated for about... 50 minutes so we're not sure exactly where she is and if it doesn't correct itself we're not sure where she's gonna be (laughs) Um, so it's gonna make things interesting but she'll be rolling along here probably within the next 10 minutes or so we'll say hi and see how she and Ben are doing and uh, deal with the next problem next because that's what we do. <laughs> so if you remember back to the pre-race meeting, this was like Frank and Adam's worst nightmare, like not being in the right place at the right time. Um, the thing with, or two things I want to mention, if you also remember back to that that note, I had said that I was going to text going in and text going out of those aid stations, but right away I had no service like I had no cell service at that first aid station because we were sort of down in a valley so that was tricky and then the other part is my spot tracker wasn't updating the thing with the spot is that it needs a clear view of the sky and apparently mine didn't have one but they could see Ben and Ben's tracker was updating a little bit more frequently And they knew that the plan was for us to stick together, but they couldn't know that um, 
given the information. Like if my spot wasn't updating, but Ben's was like, was I still with him? Did Ben go on without me? And without cell service, they had no idea. So they were, they were a little worried and I don't blame them. So what they did was after Stephen Jones, we actually had to come down sort of into town and run along the the surface streets along this bike path for a bit. So what they did was just camp out on the road and wait for me. Um, and actually not long after they recorded that previous voice memo, they recorded this one. But I'll do, do a quick update, seeing as I just updated, saying we didn't have your spot. And now I'm here. And now you're here. We, we are here. We are good. Having a good time. And your people. And here's my people. Yeah. <laughs> and your spot's working again. And here's Adam. And it's a good day. Hi. You're going to collect some pine cones? There's so much wind on top of that ridge. Did you go all the way to the top of the ridge? Yeah. Yep. Holy hell. So much wind, I thought I was going to lose my hat, so I tightened it down. And then I tried to loosen it up, pop the whole b- buckle, but luckily I have a safety pin. So I pinned it together, and here we are. <laughs> Good job, troubleshoot. <laughs> ben slid down an ice luge. Awesome. On his butt. I see a little butt. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> what else? It's just there. It is what it is. What else? What else do we have to report? No, I'm good. Thank you. You hang on to that. I don't need to carry any more weight. Great puppy. Um, what else? Everything is pretty good. Good. Can't complain. How was the cliff? Were you on the ridge? No, we didn't do that cliff. You You didn't run along the edge? Oh, yeah, we did run along the ridge. It was pretty epic. Yeah. That's going to be hairy coming back. Yeah. That's going to be very dicey. A lot of the initial snow has melted, but then when you get up higher, all that other snow is still there. Yep. So I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Cool. Did you pass your family already? Yep. Yeah, they were. So the street we came before we hit this trail was one block from our house. Oh, we were in it. They were all standing there. Just hanging out on the street corner. Yep. So that's that's the 12 mile update. 12 miles. And we'll. So as you can hear, the wind was pretty epic. At that point, we were down uh, very much close on the lake, like right on the bike path adjacent to the lake. So the wind that comes off Lake Tahoe is is crazy strong. So I apologize for the audio. Hopefully you could hear kind of what was going on. But so they found us. Um, and then we basically had another you know, 10 or so miles to go to get to the next aid station, which was Tahoe City. So this was technically the first time I saw my crew, the first time I was able to get aid from Frank and Adam. When when you heard them just now, they were like just walking next to me on the surface streets. They didn't give me anything. They weren't intending on helping me. They just wanted to check in and make sure that I was still alive. It was a proof of life uh, mission. So we got to Tahoe City and this aid station was in kind of like a local park parking lot. And um, we got there somewhere around the late afternoon slash early evening. It was still light out, but it was about to 
go dark, which meant that we needed to do a lot of stuff in this short amount of time. So we changed socks. I dealt with my feet. Um, I actually washed my feet. We brought a pot, uh, like a big pot from the Airbnb and filled it with a little bit of water. And I was able to soak my feet, clean them off, cool them off, uh, let them air out and dry out. And I reapplied everything, new new trail toes, new socks, new everything. Um, I ate a ton of food because I was feeling really behind on calories. So I put Frank in charge of this and he gathered up a bunch of food from the aid station. I mean, he came back with like a cup of noodles, a PB&J, like they actually had a vegan sausage, um, which I ended up not eating because my stomach was a little queasy at that point. Um, so I was just going for really bland stuff. I can't remember what else, but I know that there was a lot of food, which was awesome because I, like I said, I was way behind on calories. Plus he snagged me more food to take on the go so that I didn't make the same mistake as the last leg and um, run out of food. And then there was the whole debate about what layers to put on because the nighttime was coming and the temperatures were going to drop and then I needed my lights. So I ran with my rechargeable Petzl headlamp on my head and then my Kogala on a waist belt, which was really great. I like that setup a lot because it gave me more than ample light and both of those are, um, they can last basically all night long without running out of batteries. So even though I had a backup headlamp in my pack, which I was required to carry at all times with extra batteries. I never needed to tap into that. So uh, the plan was to be in and out of that aid station in 30 minutes, which we basically did. Um, And then I guess I have a little note here from Frank that you should listen to. So Adam and I just left Megan and Adam at Tahoe City. 50k in Uh, we did a half hour stop and everything's looking good so far Um, everybody's feeling good no major issues Uh, the only comment was Megan was a little bit a little behind on calories but we fixed that we stuffed her full of food and kicked her out Uh, so everything's looking good starting to get dark and we'll see him again at uh Brockway Summit and hopefully get a little bit of sleep before we roll out again. So that that next leg was another 20 miles and yeah so we left there feeling really good. We went off into the night. We did about a mile on the paved road before we started to duck into the woods for what I call some more up downs. Um, By this point in the race the total elevation gain was about 9,000 feet and the total loss was about 8,000 feet. So we have gone up just as much as we've gone down give or take a little bit. Um, And now that the night is starting to set in the crowd is starting to thin out. So there aren't as many people around as there were before. In the first 30 miles we we're seeing lots and lots of runners. Um, there were also these, the trails were open to other people as well. And like I mentioned, we were walking on some of the surface roads. So we were seeing a lot of people, but now at the 50K mark, nighttime, the crowd is starting to thin out. We're sort of by ourselves for a long time, Ben and I. And we um, stuck together and eventually found ourselves sort of leapfrogging groups of people back and forth, which is pretty common in ultras. And the nighttime running means that you really sort of slow down because you want to make sure that you have adequate footing. Um, 
you don't want to trip on anything. Everything becomes, you know, you see what's in your beam of light. So your focus really narrows to what's in front of you and you have to slow down and pay attention to, um, what's going on. So I think I have another voice memo that I recorded Friday night at 10.30 p.m. So let's listen to that one. So it's about 10.30 on Friday and it is pitch black. Unfortunately, we did not get any of the full moon or the almost full moon. The temps are... I don't know, I'd say probably down into like the 40s and it's actually lightly snowing right now, which is kind of nice. It's very quiet. Ben and I are sort of leapfrogging with a couple different people, about four or five different people back and forth, which is nice so that you're not out here just totally by yourself. I'm hesitant to ask Ben what our mileage is. Are we more than halfway there? Uh, yes. Yes, we are more than halfway there. <laughs> That's all I wanted to know. So we are more than halfway there on this 20-mile stretch. And the next stop will be Brockway. And we will get to sleep there which I am really looking forward to, catching a couple of Z's, and then getting up with the sun, maybe, having some more food. I've really been blowing through water. In the first 30 miles, I drank four liters worth of tailwind. So to say that it's dry here is an understatement. Um, and my stomach was a little wonky coming into uh, the aid station, but I ate a bunch of food and now I feel really good. I'm carrying probably well over a thousand calories on me, just in case, because last time I did not have enough food. And yeah, that's about it. Just thought I would share some thoughts from the quiet time out here on the trail in the dark. P.S. No animal sightings yet. <laughs> Seeing wildlife was like one of my worries and I don't necessarily care so much about black bears because we have those here but I was really concerned about mountain lions and snakes because you guys know you guys know that I don't like snakes but up to that point we hadn't seen any wildlife and fast forward through the whole race I actually didn't see any wildlife not even on day four and five when it was super warm when I thought I was going to see a snake sunning itself on the trail there was no snakes to be had so We were actually making really good time on this leg, um, sort of just like cruising along through the dark, leapfrogging with some people. And then actually about four miles out from the aid station, Ben started not to feel very well. So we slowed down a little bit and we got him to the Brockway aid station. I think it was maybe 
around 1 or 2 a.m. I forget the exact time. Maybe I will say it in the next voice memo. But um, And it was at that point that he actually opted to drop from the race for medical reasons. So I was sad to see him go, but he ultimately made the right choice. So at that point... This was a scheduled sleep stop for me. So the Brockway aid station was the 50 mile mark and it was a dedicated sleep station. And so we had decided, uh, or I had allotted in the planning three hours to be in and out of that aid station. So arriving, sleeping, waking up, getting all of my things taken care of and going for three hours with the slowdown and making sure that Ben got to the aid station safely, we lost a little bit of time there. I I don't know how much, to be honest. Like I very much relied on Frank to help me keep with the time and to understand like how long I had because you know, you just you're just not capable at a certain point of keeping all those calculations in your head. So you really have to have someone. It's best, I think, to have someone to help you out with that. So that's where really Frank was like crucial. I mean, he was crucial in a lot of other areas, but this was really crucial because he was keeping tabs on the, um, the, the time in and time out and overall how much time I had. So I decided to sleep for a little bit. I climbed into the back of our SUV and slept for, I think about uh, an hour and a half. When I got up, I sort of had to rush a little bit, um, to get ready in order to stay ahead of the time cutoff. And now I had to run the rest of the race alone by myself until I picked up Frank um, as my pacer the following night. So I felt really good having slept a little bit. I definitely needed it because I was um, tired. I was worn out. You know, I'd been moving for more than 12 hours straight and I was feeling the pressure of staying ahead of the time cut off. So getting up, um, I was rip roaring and ready to go. Like I, I wanted to stay ahead. I didn't want to get timed out on the course. So by this time, the herd of runners had really thinned out and I was almost completely by myself. I did see some local hikers on the trail, but not many. <laughs> um, and a lot of them were amazing. They, you know, stepped to the side. They let me go through. They cheered me on. And all in all, it was just like really nice to see other faces. So I left Brockway and the next stop was Tunnel Creek. So this would be race mile 65. Um, And so I recorded a little voice memo leaving that Brockway station. Okay, everyone, it is Saturday, June 18th, six, not quite, 5.57 a.m. I just left the Brockway aid station. That is the 50 mile mark. And I slept there for just shy of two hours. Feeling pretty good. Making my way to Tunnel Creek, which is the next aid station. Most recent news to report is that I am now running solo. Ben had to drop at the 50 mile mark. So this is now a solo adventure. Um, I'm feeling pretty good. Got a little bit of sleep. My legs feel okay. My feet feel pretty good. Just working on keeping ahead of hot spots and blisters. 
had our the most random assortment of food, none of which is going to sound good to you guys, but it includes ramen noodles with broth, bananas, mashed potatoes, instant apple and cinnamon oatmeal, so many go macro bars I can't even begin to count, more tailwind than you could ever imagine, and gosh, what else? Peanut butter and jellies. I've got a bag of mashed potatoes with a spoon in my pack right now, along with an English muffin with peanut butter. So that's going to be my breakfast for the morning. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to keep food, food down, but so far so good. So I have about 15 miles to the next aid station. So I'll try and eat that food and make it to Tunnel Creek. See you all then. Okay, so this is day two. It is uh, six o'clock in the morning. We just, uh, Megan took a two hour nap, a little less than two hours. So we're ahead of the cutoff. And uh, on an unfortunate note, Ben had to drop. Uh, so Megan is now on her own, solo for a little while. But she's good to go. Spirits are up. Now that the sun is up. And uh, 50 miles to heaven, Lee. Um, we're going with the plan that I'm going to meet her at Spooner Summit and then pick her up. That's the night shift into Heavenly. So I get to take Megan to Heavenly. You get to go back to the condo and take a decent nap. <laughs> so that is the crew pacer report. Current situation. Current situation as we bang out the first mile and then I'm going to drop her. Those voice memos are a little out of order because actually Frank and I recorded that memo before I recorded the solo one. But so as I was leaving that aid station, you had to do this ungodly half a mile weird loop where you go uphill to then go downhill and then you pass basically right by where the crew vehicles are again. So it was like it was weird. That aid station, you actually had to walk about half a mile to get to where your crew was and then walk the half a mile back to get to check in at the aid station again. So, you know, there's some like some logistics there in terms of like what you can and can't do. And so that was a little wonky. But so after mile 50, you were allowed to have a pacer. So Frank sort of pseudo paced me for that half a mile. So, you know, I could sort of like have somebody to talk to for a little bit. So that's when we recorded that voice memo. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, as you can hear, I was sort of like feeling really good. I was excited to keep going. I was on my way to Tunnel Creek. That next leg was about 17 miles. And just for perspective up to this point, I've done about 11,000 feet up and about 11,000 feet down. So, I don't really remember much of this leg other than there was lots and lots of uphill and then about four miles of downhill into the aid station. Um, and then there was like a long run on the pavement to get there. And actually, as I'm thinking about it, this was actually the power line section. So 
In this direction, we went down the power lines, which was challenging unto itself. Um, If you listened, if you go way back in my feed and you listen to my recap of the Barkley Fall Classic, you will have heard me talk about rat jaw and testicle spectacle, which are also power line climbs. Um, And you'll have some like frame of reference for this, but essentially this power lines was about a mile of downhill under active power lines on really loose, dusty footpath. It's not even a trail. Like you're not even really supposed to be on it, except for we were. Um, Loose dirt, rocks, shale. I don't know how anybody did this without poles. I managed to get down without falling on my butt. However, there were a couple close calls. Um, And as I was doing it, I was trying really, really hard not to think about the fact that I was going to have to go back up this section, most likely at night, which fast forward. It definitely was at night. But when I got to the top of this power lines, you could look down and see the end. And it was so far, you guys. It was like, it was so far. I didn't even want to look at it. And I could see people further down. And I was just thinking, I'm never going to get there. This is so far. I'm never going to get there. I was also convinced that I was going to see a snake during this section, but I didn't. So um, after the power lines, you do a few miles on pavement through a really ritzy section of the northern tip of Lake Tahoe. And um, the same thing happened here. Lots of people knew that what was going on. And so I would pass them on the bike path and they would cheer me on. Others had no idea. And I think I kind of horrified them because of how I looked like I was just like overdressed for the situation and covered in dirt. (laughs) So I'm sure that was horrifying to some of them. Um, And then I finally got to Tunnel Creek, um, the aid station, which is sort of up a short hill and behind a local restaurant. So I had to actually pass by this restaurant and people were sitting outside drinking mimosas, playing, um, playing all sorts of lawn games. I was like, oh man, that looks like fun. (laughs) And so I got into the aid station. This is where I put my drop bag. Um, And so I mentioned earlier that I would tell you what was in my drop bag. I put everything but the kitchen sink in there. I had a full change of clothes, shorts, pants, um, short sleeve shirt, long sleeve shirt. I had extra calories. I had extra shoes and like six pairs of socks (laughs) because I anticipated maybe needing to take some socks from there, stuff to take care of my feet. I mean, I had everything in there. Which worked out nicely because, again, I was going to see this bag again later on and I actually needed some of the stuff that was in there. I was in and out of this one pretty quickly. I changed my socks. I ate some pancakes, which were amazing. I topped off all of my liquids. And the the climb out of this aid station, so you keep going up the hill behind this residential development. And then you actually go three miles on this gently sloping dirt path, which was actually quite nice because you could get a good power hike rhythm going. Um, And this was time that I could actually eat and drink and catch up on calories. So that's what I used the time to do. Um, The kicker was this path was inside a park where there were tons of people that had come out for a day hike because at this point it was, you know, mid morning. And as we were going, you know, you're sort of climbing and you can see the lake off to your right. And I could, you, I could actually see that there was a storm cloud coming. And when it hit, it was snowing. So people were sort of freaking out, grabbing their cameras, taking videos and pictures. Like it was pretty clear that these, this group of people didn't see snow a lot. Um, but it was just kind of cool to be hiking up this hill and people were freaking out about the snow. They were so excited. And I, I sort of felt invisible 
to these people because I was just sort of like hiking up the hill and everybody was so enthralled with the snow. And I was just like, it's not that I didn't enjoy it. I was just like, yeah, it's snow. I got to keep going. (laughs) Like I did, I couldn't really partake in the joy. I had a mission that I needed to accomplish. So once I passed all of the day hikers, I was alone again on the Tahoe Rim Trail. And um, (laughs) this is where I started to have some random thoughts that I want to share with you guys. Just a random thought. I have decided that Long distance races like 100 milers, 200 milers, they're just exercises in figuring out what to eat, trying to keep it down, what to wear, putting layers on and taking layers off. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Especially when you're cold and tired and trying to regulate your body temperature and can only manage a couple bites of food without feeling queasy, but knowing that you really should eat the entire English muffin with peanut butter on it so that you don't bonk later. Oh, somebody dropped some (sighs) M&Ms. See, they were struggling to eat the M&Ms and they couldn't do it. Oh, man. Okay, so... Just thought I would share that with you. I'm on this long, steep Jeep road going down. It's a nice break for the legs, but it's also quite chilly up here. I'm not exactly sure what the altitude is, but I'm not on the sunny side of the lake right now. So in the shade, probably for a good portion of the day until this afternoon. So, I climb, I take layers off. I descend, I put layers on. I'm telling you, this is just an exercise in keeping food down and figuring out how to dress yourself. Okay, gotta go. Gotta pay attention to these rocks. Just another random thought. If you guys ever really want to freak people out, like really disturb them to their core here's what you do you run 65 miles with I don't know 12,000 feet of vert roll around in the dirt for a little bit and then as you're walking down the main street of a really rich neighborhood eat instant mashed potatoes out of a Ziploc bag with a spoon That will really weird people out. (laughs) Trust me, I just tested it. (laughs) So here we are at 11.30 on Saturday. We're at Tunnel Creek, uh, which is a non-crewed station. I just dropped Adam off, and he ran up to say hello to her and uh, try to raise her spirits a little bit. Um, She's been running solo since this morning, and uh, just talked to her a little bit ago, and it's going, (laughs) I guess is the easiest way to put it. 
Um, yeah, I, I really don't have too much to add to that. Um, looks like we might be in a little bit of a low spot. Um, the trail has been pretty rough. Uh, there's a power line section that apparently was a nightmare. And um, it's uh, it's getting interesting. So this is the part we got to fight through. And I'll pick her up in a few hours at Spooner Summit and uh, see if I can tell her a few good jokes or bad jokes. And we'll get to 100 miles and heavenly and uh, take a break for a couple hours anyway. So that's it. So I think this is funny because you got my perspective and then you got Frank's perspective. So somewhere along the line, I must have conveyed that I wasn't really having a good time <laughs> because you can hear Frank say like, well, you know, we just got to get through it. So I, I don't recall feeling super low at this point. Like maybe I looked super low, um, but it was nice to see Adam. What, what Frank did was just drop him off on this adjacent trail and he just ran up to the trail. Like I said, that I was doing the power hike up and he walked with me for a couple minutes and just sort of said hi and took my temperature, so to speak, to see how I was doing. So it was, um, it was nice to see them there. So from Tunnel Creek, I was headed to Spooner Summit, which was where I was going to pick Frank up um, and run at night. So as I was leaving Tunnel Creek, I actually recorded this voice memo. Okay, I just left the Tunnel Creek aid station, mile 65. Spent a little more time there, cleaned my feet, swapped my socks, ate some pancakes, which was epic. Now I'm now I'm huffing and puffing because I'm on a three-mile climb. And actually, the incline isn't all that bad. It's just the altitude's kicking my ass. Um, I feel pretty good. A little sore. A little tired. But those pancakes were really clutch. I was behind on calories. Um, I loaded up on tailwind and water. And I've got 17 miles before I get to the Spooner aid station. And that's where I pick up Frank. Frank's going to run with me all the way to Heavenly. And that will be 100 miles. So... I probably won't be until 1 a.m. tomorrow morning. It is currently, oh fuck, I don't know, 11.30 maybe. The cutoff at that aid station is 2 p.m. And I know I'm at least a couple hours ahead of it. So just trying to stay ahead of the cutoff so that I can get some sleep at Heavenly. Before I have to turn around and do it again. And man, there is a power line section here. That is a real kick in the pants. I had to channel my inner Barkley, my inner BFC. There is no traction, it is all silt. 
So you slide going down, and I'm sure that when I go back up, it's gonna be slippery. I just have to say, this view right now of the lake is pretty epic. I'm definitely gonna post some pictures of it. As you can hear, the wind started to kick back in, and this section from Tunnel Creek to Spooner was one with a ton of wild and crazy weather. So in addition to the snow that I told you about when I first started this leg, I went through what I'm calling like a couple different climate zones. It went from being hot to windy to freezing cold. And then there was this epic snowstorm. Um, and then I had to run along this exposed ridge in gale force winds with snow. I mean, it was... I couldn't really even, I wanted to take some video of it, but I don't think it would have translated. It was just crazy. And it's that scenario right there really reinforced for me why all of that gear is required. Because when I got to the top of that ridge, I ended up putting on my raincoat with the hood, not because of the snow or the rain, but just to block the wind and to keep heat in my body as the wind was blowing through. And we had to go probably about a mile on this ridge that was just open and exposed. And we were, I was essentially in the clouds, like running in the middle of this snowstorm in a cloud. It was pretty epic, but that's really why having all of that gear is so important. Um, so this is actually where, after I got through that snowstorm, where I actually saw the race leader coming back on their return trip. So the top three runners, two men and a woman, were all within a couple hours of one another at this point. And this is where I saw the first man. And then the second place person at the time was a woman. And then not long after her was the third place person, which was a guy. Um, and so it was pretty cool. I was wondering at what point I was going to see people coming back. So that was it. So it was about mile 130 for them on their return trip. So um, at the end of this leg was actually this really nice four or five mile downhill into the Spooner Summit Aid Station, which that aid station was actually on the side of the highway. And so this was just where you could pick up and drop off pacers. So no crew was technically allowed there. So basically Adam drove up, he dropped Frank off and he, Frank went with me, but there was an aid station, a, a race manned aid station. So I got a bunch of food there um, and sort of got myself set up for the next leg. So by this point, I have run about 82 miles and it is later in the day and it's going to get dark. So this is another point at which I need my lights, which I was carrying with me. And this next leg will be 18 miles in the dark to the halfway point to Heavenly. So we are getting close. I am getting tired, but I am excited to get to the halfway point. And actually the Spooner Summit to Heavenly leg was like a lot of fun. So here's the um, voice memo that I recorded leaving Spooner Summit. All right, party people. It is 7.30. Frank's in the house. On Saturday and Frank is in the house. We just left Spooner Summit aid station Man, oh man, that last section. I was just telling Frank about it, and then I remembered I gotta do a voice note. So, that was Tunnel Creek to Spooner Summit. 
so many things happened. It was hot. It was cold. It snowed. There were gale force winds. It was crazy. I spent so much time changing my clothes to accommodate the weather. Probably could have been here at least half hour, hour earlier, but it is what it is. I did not want to get to be cold, which is a real problem for me. So now we are climbing to heavenly. I had a cup of noodles, some potatoes. What else? Refreshed all my stuff. Nice job. Uh, what else? Sun's going down. We have 18 miles. At my current speed, we're estimating that's going to take me eight hours. I've been at about 4 a.m. arrival into heaven. Oh, I'd like that to be earlier than 4 a.m., but we'll see what we can do. What I am most looking forward to right this very second is arriving in Heavenly. I'm sleeping in the car. I'm most looking forward to a warm car that I climb into, strip down, baby wipe myself. <laughs> I've been wearing the same clothes for two days. Uh, and then putting my pajamas on, brushing my teeth, and sleeping. And then getting up and doing another 100 miles. I can't say that I'm looking forward to that part, but the sleep part will make the 100 mile part possible. So um, that's all I got for now. I'm sure that at some point tonight, Frank and I will do another voice memo. It's funny because when I listen to that voice memo, all I can hear in the background is my wind pants swishing against one another. So when we were at Spooner Summit, the temperature dropped and like the wind was crazy. So I put on all these layers um, because I'm telling you, this is just an exercise in dressing for the weather, feeding yourself, keeping your food down. Um, so I put on these pants because I didn't want to get cold. And then we immediately set out on a hike up the mountain. And not long after I finished that memo, I ended up taking those pants off because it just got to be too warm. But that's all I can hear is the swish, swish, swish of my uh, rain pants that I had put on for windbreaking purposes. Um, so it's, it's funny cause that's all I can hear. You can definitely tell that I am starting to be over it because I'm thinking forwards to heavenly and all of the things that I want, basically just being to go horizontal and get clean and to sleep. And we weren't lying. My, at my current pace, at the pace that I was doing then 4am was my projected finish time. And this leg was fun to a certain extent because there were some epic views at the top. We got the most amazing sunset. Um, and again, it was only, I say only, but it was only 18.3 miles. At this point, the total gain in the race was 18,000 feet and the total loss was 16,000 feet. So 
it was really nice to have somebody with me because I had basically spent that whole day running alone. Like I really didn't see all that many people. Um, I did make friends with this one group of girls at the top, which was pretty awesome because I spent some time running with them and I didn't feel so alone. But then, you know, when you take breaks and they take breaks, you sort of like separate and leapfrog. And eventually I was just by myself and, um, and, and they were nowhere to be seen, which is fine. Like that's sort of what happens. So you can also hear, like I said, good luck to somebody or good job. There were people that were coming back on their return trip, but there were also people that were running. There was a hundred K event. And so this section Spooner to heavenly was really high traffic because there were lots of people doing that 100 K event. So all, all night long we were passing people. So it kind of kept it interesting because we weren't really by ourselves, but it was sort of distracting because we had a lot of headlights flashing us all night long. So you really couldn't get your night vision attuned because you were constantly confronted with oncoming traffic. So at some point along the line, I started to get really tired. And this is the first time that I asked Frank to take a nap. I mean, if you think about it at this point, I've probably only slept about three to four hours total. Um, and so what I wanted to do was lay down on the, on the side of the trail for a mini nap. And we scouted out a couple different places and twice I tried to lay down, but it just wasn't, it was an exercise in futility. Like I couldn't turn my brain off. I wasn't, I was tired, but I wasn't tired enough to like pass out and sleep. So we tried it a couple times for maybe like five or so minutes each time. But um, ultimately we just kept going because it wasn't really going to do anything for me. So after those naps... And as we were getting closer to Heavenly, this was my least favorite part of all of the parts of the race because I was tired. It was dark. I really just wanted to get to Heavenly. It felt like it should be much closer than it was. And it just kept going on and on and on and on and on. Like I, you know, we would look at the map and it was seemed like it should be right around the corner. I think I even at one point jokingly asked Frank, are we there yet? Um, and he was like, yeah, I mean, like, it looks like we're close, but every corner we turned, it, it wasn't there. Um, and so there, there might've been like a little bitching on my part during this section. My, my memory of this is a little fuzzy, but I definitely wasn't a happy camper, but I tried not to be a total pain in the ass about it. Um, because you know, Frank was, Frank was doing it with me. So I wasn't like suffering by myself. Like it was hard for him too. So at one point, we encountered this this pair. All I remember, I think it was a man and a woman, but all I remember is this woman saying, um, you're so close, it's right there. And there's nothing that a tired runner wants to hear less than you're so close, it's right there when it really isn't fucking right there. <laughs> so when she said that, I thought, oh man, like maybe the, you know, we looked at the map and like maybe it's it's off and she's right, like it's right around the corner. No, it, it wasn't there for like another three miles. So please don't ever do that to somebody, <laughs> okay? Like... The worst thing you can say to them is like, oh, you're so close. It's right there. It's right around the corner. Like, don't say that unless it's truly, truly there. So after pulling myself up by my bootstraps a few times, and even, but I think at this point, like Frank was really frustrated because it seemed again, like it should be so close, but you had to keep going up and, and cutting back and like, 
you know, and then we had to go down a long ways and it seemed like at any second the aid station was just going to magically appear out of the woods. It didn't, (laughs) but we did eventually get there. I I couldn't have been happier once we did get there, but, um, I didn't have a lot of time. So basically all the things that I said I wanted to do, I did with the exception of brushing my teeth. I don't think I brushed my teeth until like day three, which is so gross to admit. I always had the intention and the toothbrush and everything was packed in there. We just, you know, when you're short on time, there are more important things than brushing your teeth. So at that point I was, like I said in the previous voice memo, I just wanted to get there. I couldn't say that I was like excited about going another hundred miles, but I knew that if I could just get some sleep, that my outlook would be different. So I was a few hours ahead of the cutoff. Uh, Frank and Adam got me set up in the back of the car and I managed to get, I think, like another hour and a half of sleep. And when I woke up, I felt much better, but you wouldn't have known it to look at me because the pattern that was happening was like, I would sleep, I would get up, and then I would start to shake uncontrollably. And it wasn't because I was cold. I think it was like my body was just trying to come back online. So I would be sitting in the back of the car shaking and they'd be asking me questions and they'd be trying to shove layers on me. And I'm like, no, I'm not cold. Like I just, I can't control this shaking. (laughs) So, um, I rallied and uh, I got out of the aid station with about an hour, maybe an hour and a half to spare ahead of the cutoff. But what I did really need to do was have the medic look at my feet because I was having some hot spots start to pop up. I didn't have any official blisters yet, but I could feel some things popping up and I had been trying to work on them along the way and in a preventative way. And now they were starting to just get like a little bit more aggravated. So we put a lot of Luco tape on my feet to prevent the hot spots. But, you know, up to this point, this is now the farthest that I've ever run. It's a hundred miles. And then everything on top of that is, um, you know, 101, 102. It's, it's the longest I've ever gone. So there, there was a lot of unknown that was going to be coming up in these next 100 miles. So, um, you know, I think heading into heavenly, I had, some thoughts about calling it quits because it was just, it was a lot. That last probably 10 miles going into heavenly really took a lot out of me mentally, physically, and emotionally. But I knew that once I slept that I would feel differently. So, um, actually Frank, Frank tells a funny story about, um, I think Adam had gotten me some food at this aid station and I was eating before I went to sleep and Frank got into the car and started sleeping like almost instantly because he was so tired, which is like a skill that I wish I had to just instantly fall asleep. But, um, I got into the car, I was eating the food and then I told Adam I'm done with the food. I think this is where this happened. Frank will have to correct me if I'm wrong, but in his semi-conscious state, he thought that I had said I'm done, like I was quitting, but then he realized almost instantly that that wasn't the case, that I was just telling Adam I was done with my food. But for a fraction of a second, I think he panicked (laughs) thinking that I was like really throwing in the towel, but Anyway, so got my feet looked at by the medics. And, you know, I've mentioned this before, but this entire trail is primarily composed of dirt and sand and pointy rocks. So after 100 miles, 
your feet are bound to have some issues. And the only way that I can really describe the next hundred miles was like running on super fine sandpaper. So I did my best to, you know, wash and clean and dry and keep ahead of my feet. But, um, the second 100 miles really took a toll on my feet. So, so we're at the halfway part the halfway point, I should say. Now I just have to turn around and do everything that I just did in the reverse. So I actually think Adam recorded a memo here for you guys to listen to. Okay. Um, it is just shy of 8 a.m. We are at Heavenly. It I is no not longer have heavenly. a voice. <laughs> it is not Heavenly. Last night was not Heavenly. These last 18 miles were not my most favorite or most fun. Now I get to do them in the reverse direction. In the daylight. In the daylight. Uh, I have no voice left because I've been inhaling dust for two days straight. And uh, I'm all, it's all good. Okay. Have ginger ale, we'll travel. <clears throat> Alright team. Alright guys, it is 8.15 Sunday morning leaving Heavenly, which is the turnaround point, so I have gone 100 miles, and now everything beyond this is officially the furthest that I've ever run. Uh, last 18 miles coming into Heavenly took me a long time. Words cannot even describe how hard those 18 miles were. I'll try, hopefully, in the podcast to talk about it, but just so much climbing. Uh, it was just so, it was just so far. Um, lots of switchbacks, lots of ups and downs. I got a couple of blisters on my feet, which made the last 18 tough. Got those fixed up this morning. Feet feel good. Got about an hour and a half, maybe of sleep managed to eat a little bit pancake a little bit of hash brown really cranking on some ginger ale right now and yep it just keeps winding down um down and down and down just stay on it yep it's um Ginger is my friend right now. And yeah, just excited to get going today. Morning. Morning, morning, good work. Good work. Nice job, you guys. Yeah, so some people coming into the aid station, they have until 10 a.m. to be in and out. That's the cutoff. So, I'm ahead of the cutoff, which is the goal. So, I mean, all in all, I'm feeling good. Had a lot of lows over the course of the last couple of days. Just a lot of technical parts of the course that really suck your will to live. But today's a new day. Sun's up feeling good. I'm going to take advantage of the cooler temperatures. It's going to be a little bit warmer today, but 
Last night was also really cold, like really, really cold. And that made it really tough for me. And I know I'm jumping all over the place, but I've been behind on calories and that really made it tough last night too because I just physically didn't have the energy. So I'm trying to make up for that today. I'm trying to get some calories in me now and just, you know, work the problem. Work one problem at a time as best I can and just keep moving forward. So, um, so I'm headed to Spooner Summit. Basically just going to do the whole course in reverse now. And Frank is going to meet me there. But these 18 miles are going to take me a while. So he's got lots of time to go back to the condo, get some sleep, and then meet me in a few hours. So I'll keep you guys posted. You can sort of hear it in my voice. <laughs> the uh, How slow I'm talking. I mean, I am going uphill trying to hoof it you know, a little bit at the same time, but you can sort of hear in my voice the difference between, you know, the voice memos on day one and the voice memo on day three now having gone a hundred miles. It's just interesting. So from here, going back to Spooner and honestly, you can't underestimate the power of daylight and sunshine. Um, you know, the nights were hard because I like to sleep. I'm a, I'm a morning person, so I need a lot of sleep. So, you know, ironically, this wasn't really, even though I might sound really tired and exhausted right now, I don't really feel that exhausted. I mean, even at the end of the race, when I'd only slept less than five hours, less than five and a half hours total, I wasn't really feeling tired. Like, I couldn't sleep at the drop of a hat except for when I got to the aid stations. Like during the day, I was fine. And so our plan was really for me to sleep at night and get up with the sun. And sometimes that lined up and sometimes it was like a little bit off. But really, once the sun came up, it was like I was a whole different person. So when I recorded this voice memo, the sun was up. It was eight. 15 or so in the morning, I'm kind of trudging up this hill, trying to wind my way back through that nasty little section that I hated so much the night before. And I actually feel really good. Like I'm re-energized, even though I might sound like I'm dragging, I actually feel really good. So, um, so I did all of this stuff at night, the night before. And so you can't really see what's happening around you. So at one point, when I was about six miles into my return trip, so about 106 miles in, I was thoroughly convinced that I had cut the course somehow because I didn't recognize anything that I was seeing. And what I thought was supposed to be there wasn't. I was so convinced of this that I spent a lot of time looking at the mapping app, trying to figure out where the hell I went wrong, but I wasn't finding any evidence of, of an error. But this is sort of an example of how like you can, you know, your brain is tired, like you can get convinced of something that might not be true. So I just thought that there were going to be more 
I remember being up against the rocks for a long time and that wasn't really happening. But when I looked at the app, like I was on course the whole time, like never went off course. So I didn't cut the course, but my brain had convinced me that I was. Um, And so ultimately I just decided I couldn't waste any more time on this, like thinking about this. And I just needed to make up time to get ahead of the cutoff. And actually at one point I was thoroughly convinced that when I got to the next aid station, they were going to pull me because they had seen me go off course or cut the course. And so I sort of made my peace with that. I was like, if I did, I did. It was like a completely honest mistake, but I didn't. Like I know now in retrospect that I didn't, but I was so convinced of this that I spent a lot of time thinking like, oh, this is it. I'm going to get pulled from the course. So just sort of an interesting side note that stuff like this can sort of happen. So once I got over that, I set my mind to making up time because I didn't like being basically like an hour ahead of the cutoff. So I got to work walking and running as much as I could where I could. And ultimately I got to Spooner Summit an hour and a half ahead of what was predicted on the run tracker. So I was so far ahead that I actually totally threw Adam and Frank off because they'd been watching the tracking app and using that predictor function. And that's what they had been going by. And then it was like a a blip in the matrix. And I, here I was like an hour and a half ahead of time. So I actually got to the aid station before Frank, they were about like 10 minutes out, which was fine because I needed to, you know, deal with my feet. I had the medic, another medic look at my feet, basically, you know, start to tape up all the blisters and stuff. So it wasn't really an issue that they were 10 minutes behind. I used that time to get myself situated so that when Frank did arrive, all I needed to do was just gather up my stuff and I was ready to go. So it wasn't, there was no error on their part. I was just ahead of the game. So Like I said, Frank was coming back in, um, and this was another leg. Let me think. This was, so from Spooner back to Tunnel was going to be 16 miles. So, I mean, it took me almost all day (laughs) to run those 18 miles. So by the time he got there, it was going to be nighttime again. So that it made sense that Frank was going to come and join me there. So leaving Spooner, we did that same four and a half miles that was previously this nice descent. Now it was uphill. (laughs) So here's the note that I recorded leaving Spooner Summit. Okay, guys, it is just before 4 p.m. on Sunday just left the Spooner Summit aid station. So I've now done 118 miles, got a bunch of food, refilled on all my fluids, got my feet taped by the medics, got all my stuff situated for the night, picked up Frank. He is going to pace me for two, all the way to Brockway. So we're going to go to Tunnel Creek, 17 miles, and then we're going to do 20 miles, I think. Maybe just a little shy of that to get to Brockway. Excuse me. So that'll bring us into the night and sleep at Brockway again and do the last 
50 miles. So, feeling pretty good. Had a couple hours of sleep back at Heavenly. Might have to take a trail nap later, but we will see. All in all, can't complain. Feeling good. So it is about 4 o'clock on Sunday, I think. <laughs> and we're just running out of Spooner Summit. Hoofing it to Tunnel Creek. Had a good break. Megan made up an hour and a little more on that last section by herself. I'm feeling like a lead weight now. Jeez. Uh, and she, uh, like I said before, Megan was super tired. It was a long night. But daytime now, we're doing good. Heading into night three. And uh, working on a on-the-fly race strategy. Just like we've been doing for the past two days. And uh, keep pushing. Anything to add, Megan? Nope. I gotta keep moving. I can't talk. <laughs> We're getting a little bit of an incline at 8,000 feet, so... A little winded. Frank mentioned in there how we were sort of coming up with the race strategy on the fly, which is true. Like we had originally set forth this plan using this really amazing spreadsheet that one of the runners put together and shared in the Facebook group that helped you to track mileage and time, like elapsed time and pace, how long you wanted to spend in the aid station, so on and so forth. So that's what we really had started out with. And the plan was pretty solid. It seemed like a solid plan at the time, but then you know, stuff happens over the course of 200 miles. And so we were off the plan. And like I said before, I really relied on Frank for help to game plan it on the fly. So a lot of times you guys, we'd be walking and Frank would have his phone out with the, with that spreadsheet open, updating it in real time and trying to do the math. So like his help was invaluable here because if left to my own devices, I probably would have had a much not probably, I would have had a harder time figuring out how much I could sleep, where I could stop, how much I needed to push, and the whole nine yards. So I just want to reiterate, like, his help in that respect was invaluable. So we're leaving Spooner. We're going to Tunnel. It's 17 miles. This was the leg with all the wild and crazy weather last time around, um, but this time it's late afternoon. It's into evening. Things were much calmer. Um, but there was still some serious wind on the top of that ridge. And Frank and I just had a real good time sort of cruising along. We got another epic sunset um, before we dropped below the ridge line. And then those last three miles were downhill leading into the aid station. So that's the same wide sloping trail that I mentioned before with the snow and the tourists, like all the hikers. Um, and it's funny enough, I'm going to put the, I'm going to put another voice memo in here, but like, before we got to the aid station, we came on these on these birds that were sleeping on the ground on the side of the trail. And I, you know, like when your headlamp shines and hits eyes, you get that reflection. And my headlamp was hitting this thing on the ground. And I was just like, what, what is this? And all of a sudden we got closer to it. And this bird just flew up out of nowhere and scared the bejesus out of us. And then we just kept seeing them all along the way. So I think, um, I think this is my note that I 
pulled out my phone and recorded on the way into the Tunnel Creek Aid Station. Okay, so it is 9.56 on Sunday night, and I'm taking an impromptu break sitting on a rock on the side of the road. (laughs) It's inside a park. It's not like a busy road. We are headed to the Tunnel Creek Aid Station. We have come up with a new game plan for my sleep strategy for the next couple of aid stations. So we're going to do a quick stop here and then a little bit of a longer break at the next one. We're just going to power through because we have a 1 p.m. Tuesday deadline. So Frank, what would you like to share with the people? Uh, It's dark. There's no moon. There's no moon. And... uh. There are these Things, killer birds. Yeah, killer birds. Yeah, <laughs> random birds in the middle of the road that don't move, and uh, things are dramatically better than they were last night. Like complete turnaround. Things are yeah. much better tonight. Yeah. Well, it's still early. Yeah. <laughs> it's still early, but I think uh, a different location, change of venue. Uh, it's all gonna. It's all gonna work out, people. It's gonna be all good. All right, I'm going to attempt to get up, and we're going to continue on down the road, and I'm going to try not to trip on anything as we go. All right, talk to you soon. I would just like to reiterate that we were not hallucinating those birds. (laughs) I may have been seeing some kind of interesting things, but those birds were for sure real. So not long after that, we got into the aid station and I decided to lay down for a few minutes. So I actually pulled out my bivy sack and laid down on the ground adjacent to the aid station and put my feet up on the guardrail that was on the side of the road and tried to close my eyes. I didn't actually sleep, but I really needed to put my feet up because by now they are super sore. You know, I'm running on the sandpaper um, and I just needed them to be above my head and to drain a little bit of fluid. So initially we wanted to be in and out of this aid station relatively quickly, but my feet really needed some attention. So I sat down and let one of the medics basically undo everything and then redo everything, which was ultimately a really good decision because by this point, my feet were starting to actually blister. Whereas before it was just like, "Mm, I have a couple hot spots. Now I've got blisters. Um, So... (laughs) which is always fun. Leaving this aid station, uh, Frank scored me a full cup of noodles and I was trying to inhale it while walking, which if you've ever tried to do that is kind of difficult, so I wouldn't recommend it, but I did get some solid calories in. So Frank stayed with me from Tunnel Creek to Brockway, which is another 15 miles. And here are some of our thoughts leaving the Tunnel Creek aid station. All right, it is 11.45 p.m. on Sunday. We just left the Tunnel Creek aid station. I'm officially more KT tape than I am human. And my voice is slowly devolving into madness. I have no idea. I just get so much dirt and dust in my nose and mouth. And throat <clears throat> it's a, getting a little out of control but let's see I got a 15 minute power nap slash just laid down and put my feet up then I had the medic look at my feet because they are atrocious covered in blisters 
We got some ramen noodles on the go. And now we are going to crush a few road miles to make up some time that was spent on dealing with my feet. Then we're going to climb a fucking steep-ass power line section. Then what? Oh, Frank's getting wet by the sprinkler. We had the medic tape up your feet so we can go run road miles to beat up your feet. Yeah, yeah. More road miles. Uh, Yeah, we just got to get to the main road. Sorry, technical difficulties. Frank's still trying not to get sprayed by a sprinkler. That's too late, my ass. (laughs) All right, anything to report from the crazy birds? No, I think we covered it. Yeah, we got birds. I think we're going on the road here. Oh, no, we're on the part. No, we're on the right. It's 11.45 at night. I have not slept. It's a little little crazy around here, folks. This is what happens when you run 200 miles. Stuff starts to devolve into madness. I have a blinky light on the back of my head so she knows where to go. That's right. I'm just going to follow the blinking red light. (sighs) All right. We will... The next aid station is Brockway. And hopefully, if we keep this current pace up, I'll actually get to sleep a little. And, and you know, like get up and then run some more miles, which is like basically the whole deal. <laughs> All right. See ya. As you can hear, we did a ton of road miles. You can hear all the cars going by and hear our feet on the pavement. So this is a long stretch of paved roads to get out of the aid station. And then we hike up a long (laughs) road in a residential neighborhood that sort of zigzags uphill before we got to this dreaded power line section. And as predicted, we did it in the middle of the night. And when we got there, we were completely alone. There was nobody else around. Um, And I, I don't remember this, but Frank says that when we were going into it, he asked how long do I think it's going to take us to climb this? And I guessed an hour and it turns out I was right. It took us basically an hour to climb this section. Uh, I don't know what the official grade of this, of this power lines is, but I'm going to call it fucking steep to the point where I, like I said before, I don't know how anyone did this with poles. It was so gnarly. Um, there's nothing to grab onto. Everything falls away from your feet and your hands. Like there were rocks that were tumbling down. It was just crazy. So I mean, at this point, my blisters are sort of screaming at me because I'm putting all of this undue pressure onto them in like weird and different ways. So it was just not our favorite part, I should just say. Um, Frank looked up at one point and he could see someone else's headlamp at the very, what we think was the top of the trail because it was this tiny microscopic dot. And we just swore that we would stop looking up because the top never got any closer and it was more and more demoralizing. So we just kept going. We did end up catching some people that were on the trail. Uh, Even one runner that was sort of perched on this rock talking to somebody on the phone. It sounded like either race staff or his crew. I think he was injured. He, you know, we passed by, he asked, we asked if he was okay. He said, yeah. So, but I think he was trying to get some help. Um, 
And eventually, an hour later, one of the longest hours ever, we made it to the top of this power line sections. And then we, in turn, were the assholes that were turning around and looking down, shining our headlamp down on the trail for everybody else to see. Um, And we could actually see a few white dots of the headlamps of other runners behind us making their way up. So we did get to the top and then... Promptly, all the trail markings were gone, so we had to pull out the mapping app and get our bearings. Um, and this actually happened in a few different sections. It's unfortunately, it's not uncommon for other people that use the trails or like that think it's funny or entertaining to remove the trail markers that were put up for the race. But that's why they require you to have the course either preloaded into your watch or have this mapping app on your phone. I did both, but I preferred to use the app because it just was so much easier. It was like so spot on. So we did finally find the trail um, that led us to my next least favorite part, which was, I'm calling this just like this long spiky rock road to nowhere because that's how it felt. It just kept going up and up and up. And every time you hit a little crest and you thought that it was going to level out or turn or go someplace different, it didn't. So I don't know how long we were on that section, but it, it seemed like forever. And on top of that, the dust on this section was insane. You can start to hear it in my voice at some sections when I, not when I was recording voice memos, but like at some parts of this race, I didn't have a voice and I was coughing. I had like, I keep describing it as a smoker's cough, never smoked a cigarette ever in my life, but I had like a 40 year smoking cough. It was crazy. And I was just also expelling lots of gross stuff that I'm not even going to tell you about. It was just like all the dirt getting built up in, um, in your lungs, in your in your nasal passages, in your mucous membranes. And actually, I, I heard some people started to call it tunnel cough, like tunnel as in Tunnel Creek, because this is where a lot of the dirt come up. And a lot of people I heard actually dropped from the race because of respiratory issues, either altitude related or related to tunnel cough and all the, all the dust and the dirt that was being inhaled. So... We finally made it to Brockway, which was race mile 150, and it was morning, and I had planned to sleep for a little bit, but not as long as I would have liked, so I basically... Adam rolled my bag from where the cars are parked all the way up half a mile to the aid station, and we actually just set me up on the pavement, and I slept... Um, out in the open sun underneath the blanket for a little bit, probably about a half hour. And I force fed myself a bunch of oatmeal and hash browns, had the medics again undo all of my tape and redo it. This time there was um, some draining of blisters involved. And I just have to say like the staff at this aid station that worked on this particular shift were amazing. They were happy and excited. They had lots of energy. They were enthusiastic. They were, the the cooking was on point. They had so much food ready to go. The medics um, were amazing. It was actually one of the same medics that was at Heavenly that I had seen 50 miles earlier. It was kind of funny. I tapped him on the shoulder and I was like, funny seeing you here. I was like, wait until you see what I've done with my feet over the last 50 miles. And he was impressed, but also not impressed. (laughs) Um, but he did an excellent job of undoing a lot of what I did and making it possible for me to go the next 50 miles. So yeah, we've made it to the last 50 miles. Um, 
and yeah, now, now I'm on the home stretch and it's daylight now. So I'm feeling better. I know that I have 50 miles to go. I'm going to do this next section by myself because it's daytime. And then I'm going to pick up Frank at Tahoe City. But so here's, here's what I had to say, leaving the Brockway aid station. Okay, you guys. Ooh, it is 8.38 a.m. on Monday. This would officially be day four of running around in the woods. I have officially run 150 miles. I am going out for a leg on my own. Just leaving the Broadway, sorry, Brockway aid station. Came in, Adam was here, he had all my stuff. So amazing. He hauled my whole bag up because you can't park at this aid station. I was able to get my feet looked at. And they, they are so messed up. So many blisters. But they feel pretty good. Fresh socks. Got some food. Took a power nap. Um, and now I start a 20-mile power hike. And then I'll, when I finish that, it will be tonight, essentially. And Frank and I will do another night leg together. And then Adam is going to run the last 10 miles with me to the finish. Sorry, I know I'm huffing and puffing, but going up this hill. Um, it's supposed to be nice today. It's kind of cool right now. Sun's out. And yeah, feel good. Man, that last section. I told you guys about Barkley Fall Classic and some of the obstacles there. Well, we had to do a power line section here. That was pretty epic, you guys. Took us an hour to get up. I'll, I'll send you some more details on it, but... It was hard. And then we basically climbed Jeep roads all night long. So, good times. I actually feel pretty good. Don't feel tired. But there might come a point a little bit later where I sit down on the side of the trail and take a little power nap. So, yeah. 150 miles, you guys. That's officially the farthest I've ever run. Thank you to all you guys that have sent me messages. I've been keeping my phone in airplane mode because I have to run the course GPS on it. So I got them all. I see them. But I just haven't responded to you guys. So thanks for all the love. Okay. I need to be able to breathe. Gotta go. Talk to you soon. Bye. The, the mental work now for me is just managing all the component parts. Like my feet are obviously killing me at this point between the blisters, the sandpaper, just the sensation of walking and running on them for 150 miles. It's, it can be overwhelming if you let it. So a lot of my work that I didn't really talk about in, in any of the previous sections is really to just 
tune out the pain or turn the dial down on it. And I can't really describe how I did it more so just that I did it, just that I was focused on reminding myself that this is what it is and there's nothing I can do to change it. So I just need to focus on something else and let it come and just be okay with it. So you can sort of hear it in my voice. Um, just when I talk about all the different things and my feet, how I keep coming back to my feet. But, you know, other than the stuff that I'm experiencing with my feet, my, the rest of my body feels fine. Like my shoulders are a little stiff and sore from carrying around all this weight, but like my hips are fine. My knee actually over the course of the last three days has, my left knee had been on and off sort of twingy. It didn't really enjoy the sustained climbs, which is kind of weird because I've never really had an issue with my knees. Um, but at some point my left knee was just like, "Mm, we're not cool with this, (laughs) but it never got to the point where I needed tape. Um, there was just enough down and flat for it to recover and feel really good. So I did at some point stop and do some little mini shakedowns. If you, when I was by myself, you would have seen me doing a lot of, uh, scap cars, scapular movements to release my shoulders, so to speak, as as well as a lot of shoulder cars, a lot of what I teach in my mobility classes. And it helped to keep the pain at bay. It like sort of, you know, shook everything out and kept it so that I was able to keep moving without really any issues. So I was, I'm happy about that. So This section, like I said, I I did by myself, but this is sort of bittersweet for me because this was the last, the last time I was in this section, Ben with, Ben was with me. Um, and actually over the course of the last couple of days, I'd been able to get some updates about Ben that he was doing much better. He'd gotten some sleep and was feeling, um, feeling a lot better than the last time I saw him. So that was really helpful for me to know that he was doing really well. And it allowed me to, to focus, you know, on what I needed to do knowing that he was okay. So the first time we came through this section, it was at night. So again, I was having a hard time sort of placing, what I remember at night with the features that I was seeing during the day. And at some point I sort of just had to turn my brain off about it and try not to rectify the two things and just tried to move efficiently, stay ahead of the time cut off and put one foot in front of the other. So I can't say that I remember much of this section and there wasn't really that much to note, like anything that was really exciting. And this is really, I think like the last 50 miles is where my brain needed to do a lot of the mental work. A lot of you guys ask questions about like, how did you mentally overcome this stuff? And honestly, I I distilled it down to one foot in front of the other. So much so that at one point, I mean, I told you guys my brain wasn't really processing things as well as it should have been. Like I would see these gnarly tree stumps and I I think in one of the previous memos, it talked about an octopus or a a woman with a bird in her hands. Like your, your brain just starts to create images. And I wasn't seeing like cartoon characters or anything like that. I just wasn't, you know, I wasn't firing on all cylinders. So I ended up sort of feeling like I was running in circles and, um, I recorded this. Okay. So I think it's Monday at 2.45 p.m. I'm out on a 20-mile run by myself. I've been out here, I honestly can't remember what time I left, and I'm making this voice memo because 
I think I've spent the last who knows how long running around in circles. Everything out here looks the same. And I quite literally was just running while asleep. So I just laid down on the side of the trail and took a five minute power nap. And I do feel a little more alert now. I didn't even actually sleep. I just closed my eyes. Um, but I almost just tripped. Um, yeah, I mean, these last 50 miles are definitely going to be the most difficult. I'm exhausted. My body feels fine with the exception of my feet. Um, it's hot. It's dry. I mean, there's like a lot of stuff going on right now. And I was just feeling really frustrated because I thought maybe I wasn't going to make my time cut off for this lab. And then I just texted Adam and he told me I'm an, I'm an hour ahead of when I'm projected to come in. And I just feel very lost and discombobulated. So, welcome to 200 milers. Anyway, I just thought I would share that because it is late stages in the game. And I've literally only had maybe two... I've lost count now. Maybe three, no more than four hours sleep in the last four days. So everything is really coming crashing down on me. I mean, it's not tragic or anything. I'm probably being a little dramatic, but I just need to get through these last miles. And then I'm going to have a power nap at the aid station before Frank and I go out for another 20 miles. And Adam's going to bring me some coffee. And then hopefully get another like maybe really quick power nap at the last aid station before Adam and I do the last 10 miles to the finish so oh man so much anyway just thought I would share quite literally I hadn't seen anyone for hours like a random mountain biker here or there but I hadn't seen anyone for hours and this trail just kept swooping around to the left and the right. So it felt like I was running in circles and I was sort of in this haze for, I don't know how long, but it felt like forever. And I started to get this overwhelming feeling like I missed the time cutoff. So I did end up having cell service there. So I did text Adam, like I said, and I just in, in sort of like a panic mode, like, I think I'm, I'm, I'm past the cutoff. Like, I don't know where I am. Like I've, I think I've been running while asleep for a little bit. And that's when he fired back with you're an hour ahead of where you're projected to come in. You're doing great. You have, I think he said like, two miles left to go, but it felt like so much further. So I did end up, like I noted, laying down on the side of the trail and taking a, a quick break. I didn't actually sleep, but even just five minutes of being horizontal and closing my eyes and just consciously focusing on letting my whole body relax was so helpful for me. But this section by far was was pretty tough. So it did take me a while, but I did make it to Tahoe City, which was the next aid station. This is the one that was in the parking lot adjacent to the park. I had to do some road miles to get down into it. The plan was for me to sleep for about 30 minutes, and I did. I climbed into the back of the SUV and took a 
epic power nap. And this was where I was also going to pick up Frank and he was going to take me to Stephen Jones, another 20 miles. Even it's funny because I was just listening to that previous voice memo in real time with you guys. And even just to hear me say like, oh, I have to do another 20 miles. I'm almost gagging a little bit because I can remember thinking like, oh, I have to go another 20 miles. And, you know, I really just broke it down into running from aid station to aid station. But at some point, running 20 miles is a long way. Like even, even after you've already gone 150 miles to hear 20 miles and know that it's not going to take you the five hours that it might take you normally at home. Like it's going to take you all day. At least it did for me. I'm not the the world's fastest runner, but to know that it's going to take you all day was sort of like, I had to separate that from the task of doing the 20 miles. I couldn't really think about the time in and time out. That's where I really farmed that out to Frank, because if I had had to pay attention to that, in addition to having to run the 20 miles, I think it would have just been too much for me. So the other thing to note coming into the the Tahoe City Aid Station was I couldn't stomach the thought of having to eat any more mashed potatoes, hash brown, cup of noodles, PB&J, any of the stuff that was at the aid stations. So I actually, in in that text exchange when I was talking to Adam about, I feel so lost, I think I missed the cutoff, I said, do you think you could bring me a sub and some chips to this next aid station? And he was like, yeah, totally. So he ended up getting me a Subway sub, all veggies. It was the best thing I ate. It was the boost in calories and just like the, the mental boost that I needed to have some actual food that I was excited to eat versus the stuff that I was trying to take down just for the purposes of having calories in my system. So I ate the sub, jumped in the back of the car, slept for 30 minutes, minutes, which was just enough to like recharge, got dressed, which was kind of a struggle because it was warm, but also we were headed into the night. So it was like, hmm, what do I what do I wear? And ironically, funnily enough, Frank and I, Frank had already chosen his outfit. And then I ended up choosing an outfit that was basically the same as his. <coughs> I have photographic evidence of this, which I will try and post, which is hilarious. We were basically wearing the same thing. Um, and then off we went into the heat and then into the night. So this is Tahoe City to Stephen Jones. And it's 20 miles. And like I said, after that, I'm going to meet Adam at Stephen Jones and he's going to do the last 10 miles with me. But here's what I had to say leaving the Tahoe City Aid Station. Okay, it is Monday. Yeah, is it Monday? Yes, it's Monday. Monday. (laughs) Time is fluid right now. Keep it up. Thank you. All right, it is Monday, 6.35 p.m., This is the second to last leg of the race. Frank and I are going out for 20 miles in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite time. (laughs) Oh, dark 30. Hopefully we'll get some moon tonight. Let's see. What can we report? What do you got to report, Frank? Uh... I haven't posted anything about it, but crewing and pacing is a lot of work. 
there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that you take care of your runner. That'll be interesting to get into later. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is for sure an unseen logistical challenge for races like this. Especially when you have drop bags and multiple aid stations, aid stations that you're not allowed to go to, so on and so forth. So, See, I'm trying gonna... to think of the highlights. Uh, See, uh, the birds, uh, the runner down. Runner down. And I think that's all that happened last night. No wildlife. Power lines. Oh, power lines. Um, I forgot the, to show you that the video. The with the bird. All right, listen, the old lady with the bird. All right, let me tell you guys what's going on here. When you only sleep less than five hours over the course of four days, your brain starts to do weird things. The octopus. Yeah, the octopus was also real. In these woods, there are a lot of downed trees. And when they rot, they don't rot the way trees in the Northeast do. They have an interesting sort of, they sort of fall apart differently. Anyway, they look funny. And when your brain isn't processing things normally, you start to see shapes and things. The camp with a bunch of people partying. That was also real. <laughs> I could go on. <laughs> uh, I didn't actually believe that those things were there. That's just what my brain perceived. Your friend taking pictures? I did. I saw Lindsay. Lindsay Masterson, you were out in the wild taking photos. Um, I mean, we can talk more about hallucinations later, but we always seem to do these voice memos walking uphill. Why is that? Because we always do them coming out of aid stations. I know. Aid station is out of a It's a lot of climbing. Uh, in case anyone cares, my current step count for the day is... 79,310. Wow. <laughs> I meant to tally it all up at the end and see how many steps this is. Okay, I'm sure we're going to find more things to share overnight, so ta-ta for now. Off we went into the night and two things that we were confronted with right away. One were swarms of mosquitoes and the second were no trail markers. So this was another section where people had taken down the trail markers. We actually, Ben and I encountered this on the outbound trip, but it was more pronounced now because we're trying to navigate it in the dark with, you know, no trail markers. So the breeze died down, all those bugs came out, we're looking for the trail markers. It was kind of an interesting confluence of events. And um, this section, as we progressed, it took us a long time. It was by far one of the hardest sections for me because after all the trails, like after the part in the woods, comes a insanely long road running section. And by this point, I was tired. And when the night hits and you're tired, for me, that's sort of a, like a, a nasty grouping because I just get exponentially more tired. So I was really relying on Frank. And, and literally for I don't know how long, I'd have to ask Frank, I was sleep running 
more like shuffling, running, while dozing off and sleeping and running and standing and moving all at the same time. So I was locked onto the back of his shoes, shuffling along, just trying to keep up with him. So my recollection of this section is really fuzzy. Time is really fluid. I don't really know how long it took, but you know, before we got to the sleep running section, I definitely remember taking two trail naps um, for t- about 10 minutes each, which were really helpful. And then when we got down a- out of the trails, that's when the road running section came and the fatigue really set in and there was no place for me to sit down and sleep. And I also did not have the luxury of time. So this is where things started to get compressed. Um, and I really had to, like I said, hone in on the back of Frank's feet and just run and try and keep up with him as he was navigating our way to the aid station, which seemed like it took forever. I don't know how else to best describe this, but when you're running and you're dozing off and you're sleeping and then like I would just all of a sudden come to and would have no idea how long it had been since I was semi-conscious and like paying attention. I'm surprised I didn't fall and smash my face. I don't know how I didn't do it. Frank wasn't holding on to me. I just was, like I said, eyes locked onto the back of his shoes. So I do remember asking him, are we there yet? In sort of my best joking voice, but deep down inside, I was like deadly serious. I was like, when are we fucking going to get there? Because <laughs> it seemed like so long. I mean, at this point, it just never seemed like the aid station was going to come. So we managed to get there. Um, I don't think I've ever been so happy to see an aid station in all of my life, maybe second only to arriving at Heavenly (laughs) after that horrendous little section. But um, I didn't change. I just checked in at the aid station, climbed into the back of the SUV and slept for about 30 minutes. And I passed out almost instantly. And so I think I got like a quick REM cycle in, which was great. Frank actually passed out in the car at the same time, which is awesome. I don't blame him. Like that was a long, hard effort on his part too. And um, Adam woke me up about 30 minutes later. It was still cold, still dark. It was probably around... I want to say maybe like 5 a.m. And again, the involuntary body shaking came back. And again, it wasn't because I was cold. My body was just like coming back online. So I was sitting in the back. You know, Adam was feeding me, like bringing food to me. And I was trying to take it down, um, repack my bag, refill my bladder. I opted not to... Did I put on a different... I believe... Nope. I kept the same clothing on. I didn't even take off my shoes and my socks. Um, I I took off my shoes to sleep, but I did not remove my socks. I was just going to gut it out for the last 10 miles. My feet are obliterated at this point. Um, I have four solid blisters, one on the outsides of each heel and then, I mean, those are really the, the biggest blisters I have at this point. And then I've got some, uh, a couple blisters on the undersides of, a, of like one or two toes, but it's really just these four outside heel blisters, not underneath my feet. The undersides of my feet were totally fine with the exception of, again, feeling like you're running on sandpaper. It's just these four massive blisters that are the size of like two quarters next to one another. Um, 
on either side. So it was crazy. So I, I opted to take my shoes off while I slept. And then I didn't even take my socks off. Didn't even look at them. I just put my shoes back on and out we went. Um, Adam was all geared up and we left Stephen Jones on the last 10 miles headed to Homewood, the finish. And here's what I had to say about that. Okay, you guys, it is, is it Tuesday? Adam, is it's it official? It is officially Tuesday, guys. Tuesday morning, 5.06 a.m. We are leaving. What's this place? Stephen Jones. Stephen Jones. Stephen Jones aid station for the last 10 miles. With a guest pacer. With a guest pacer. My fabulous husband, my crew chief, my chief distractor. Coming out of foot-powered retirement. I'm coming out of foot-powered retirement, yeah. This will be Adam's first 10-miler in a while, but we are going to be slow hiking, so should be no issues. Oh, man. The last leg was tough, to say the least. I was very tired. I took two trail naps, and I ran sleeping behind Frank to get to this aid station for like four miles. How long did I sleep for? Half an hour? Yep. Half an hour. Got some coffee. I feel like I have rocket fuel in my veins. I want to take our truck over these woods. Oh, jeez. However, my feet are still jacked up. So we did not change socks. We are just going to run as is and hope I still have feet tomorrow. And yeah, so these last 10 miles... Ooh, we do a lot of climbing, and then we do a lot of downhill to get into the finish line. So this ought to be interesting. Um, what else, Adam? Anything else? I think that's it. Have you been having fun? I've been having a blast. <laughs> I've gotten to know the... What side of Tahoe is this? West side of Tahoe Road, intimately. Uh-huh. Um, still no wildlife sightings, with the exception of a toad that Frank almost stepped on. That's about it. Um, okay. I gotta go. I gotta concentrate. I'll talk to you guys later. The plan for this section was to basically take it easy um, with Adam with me. He was there to keep my spirits up and to keep an eye on me because now I'm on legs that have gone 190 miles. <laughs> so we set off in the dark and we needed our lights for about the first 15 minutes. But then the sun started to come up and honestly, my legs felt great. Again, it was just my feet. When I left the aid station, like I said, I didn't even bother to address my feet. I just kept going. Um, and truth be told, there wasn't much I could do at this point. They are what they are. So unfortunately, there were lots of sharp pointy rocks that was in store for me the next 10 miles. So a lot of, again, the, the mental work that I had to do was just sort of like turn that noise down and just focus on one foot in front of the other. Um, we got through the first initial steep climb and then went over a lot of the same snow packed areas that Ben and I covered on day one, which led us to some pretty epic views. And it was awesome to have Adam along for this section and that he got to experience firsthand the real, the 
amazing stuff that I got to see on day one, just from the tops of the mountains overlooking both sides, um, the lake side and the opposite side. So it warmed up drastically um, to the point where I had, I left the aid station with like a long sleeve, half zip black thermal. And I didn't really think it through, but I did bring a long sleeve black lightweight tech tee. So I swapped it for that, which actually helped a lot because that thermal was, was really hot, but it got very warm very quickly. And so this was the heat that was predicted three or four days ago. And luckily I finished relatively early in the day, like around 10, 1030. So it wasn't super hot, but I can only imagine what it was going to be like in a couple hours if I had sort of delayed my finish anymore. So Adam and I just sort of like cruised along at a good clip. We, you know, at this point I was four hours ahead of the cutoff. So I had made up a ton of time. Um, and I wasn't in any danger of timing out on the course. So really that was in large part due to Adam and Frank who kept me on track, um, and sort of, you know, forced the issue of power naps versus longer periods of sleep. Cause I could have slept for longer, but I wouldn't have felt comfortable being only an hour ahead of the cutoff. Cause what if something happened, you know, out on the trail, I wanted to start banking some more time so that I could, be four hours ahead and not have to really worry about these last 10 miles. So we cruised along, we started to run into some more people. We took some pictures. It was just like really fun. So uh, we finally got to the ski slope that we had come up at the beginning. And this was unfortunately where more of the pointy rocks came back. So there was a lot of like, ow, like throughout this whole race, I made a lot of noise. You can ask for Adam and Frank. I made a lot of weird noises and I told them to just ignore me. Like unless they hear me hit the ground, like don't pay any attention to the weird noises that I'm making. It was just like me trying to process the pain, like the inputs, um, (laughs) the inputs that are coming in, you know what I mean? So anyway, um, But then we got to this fun section that was all wood chips and that was like running on carpet. It felt so amazing. And then, yeah, so like we got to this, the swoopy part that I came up and then it was all literally downhill from there into the finish. And it was so amazing. Like I could hear the finish a little ways off and I just started to get super excited and I ran the last little bit through the finish and I was done. It was so amazing. It's kind of like a very anticlimactic description of how I finished, but it was just, it was so amazing to finally be back at the start. And oh, the one thing, (laughs) the one thing that is super funny, I made it 199 miles without ever falling once. But at mile 199, I slipped on these pointy rocks and fell on the ground. It was so funny. Like I I started laughing. I think Adam was laughing a little bit. Just the irony of making it 199 miles and then falling within the last mile. Um, Luckily, nothing happened. I just sort of I like rolled on a rock and ended up sort of in like a pseudo split 
um, with like my whole left side, I was covered in dirt, which was totally par for the course, but yeah. So within the last mile I fell, <laughs> but I finished, uh, went through the finishing arch, got my post race picture taken, got to pick out my one of a kind belt buckle, which is amazing. Um, now I just need a belt to go with it. Um, Another huge, amazing thing, Ben and his family were there to greet me at the finish, finish, which was awesome because I missed him. Like my intent was to get to run the race with him. So it was great that he hung around, um, and was able to see me finish. And we all just hung out at the end, um, and talked for a little bit. We ended up packing up our stuff and headed back to the Airbnb because I desperately wanted a shower. (laughs) I wanted a shower for the last four days. Um, and I knew at that point I would need to ultimately deal with my feet. And actually I took a video of the unveiling of my feet, which I'll post at some point. Um, it's not that bad. It's just mostly like dirt and KT tape, but it sort of illustrates the blisters that are sizable at this point. So we stopped for sandwiches to bring back, got back, took my shower, ate the huge sandwich, um, with these habanero lime chips that were like so hot that it was comical. They were my choice and Adam couldn't even handle them because they were just like so hot. I think I only tolerated them because it was like the first seasoned food I had eaten in five days. And so I was like happy to have the flavor bomb, but, um, yeah. So then actually there was like a, because of some poor planning, on my part or genius planning. I haven't quite figured out which yet we actually had to start packing because we had a flight home that night, a red eye. So I finished at about 10, 10 30. We were probably home at the Airbnb by like 11, 11 30. And then at 11 PM, we had to be back in Reno for, um, our flight home, which was fine. So started to pack up, I actually laid down on the floor to take a nap with my feet elevated. And when I woke up, I had a massive panic attack because I looked at my laptop because I'd been watching a movie and the time said 8.25 PM. And so I thought we're fucked because we still have to pack all this stuff and drive an hour or, or 45 minutes to the airport and get, you know, get all checked in. Luckily it was just because my laptop had never switched over to Pacific time. So it was actually only 5 PM, which still meant that I had to sort of like get going because I had a lot of stuff to pack up, but, um, managed to make it just fine, packed up all our stuff, headed to the airport. And ours was actually the last flight out of Reno, which sounds like a country song, (laughs) but, um, which was good because it gave us the extra time. So walking through the airport was kind of comical because by this point, my feet had started to swell a little bit. And again, just having been on them for five days straight, they were sore. So I was wearing my bright pink Crocs and moving very gingerly. (laughs) So got on our flight from Reno to JFK. Somehow I ended up with a middle seat, which sucked because I didn't get a lot of sleep, couldn't get comfortable. We landed in JFK, had a two hour layover, managed to get some food, was walking super slow by this point because my feet were continuing to swell. Um, people were definitely looking at me weird. Like I looked fine physically other than the fact that I was just, it looked like I was walking on glass shards, which is kind of what it felt like. So got some, um, breakfast, got on the next flight. It was like a super short 45 minute flight back to Boston. And then, just had to drive home. And by the time I got home, I was so excited to be back and 
get to bed, I think one of the first things I, I tried to stay awake as long as I could, um, but I did end up going to bed pretty early. And I think I end, that was the night I ended up sleeping until 1030 the next morning, which is like unheard of. And then over the course of the next couple of days, my feet really started to swell to the point where I had cankles. Like there was no discernible difference between my lower legs, my ankles and my feet. They were huge. So I just spent the next couple of days trying to sit with my feet up as much as possible. And honestly, after like a day and a half, that swelling was greatly diminished and I could walk normally again. So yeah, that brings us to today, uh, about two weeks removed from the race, and I feel really good. My blisters are mostly healed. Um, my body feels great. I don't have any residual aches and pains. I do just have this sort of like low-level fatigue that will probably with be with me for a while. So I'll just have to be generally taking it easy and sort of you know keeping in mind that I just ran 200 miles and I sort of have to start from zero and build my way back up again. But yeah, I feel, um, I feel great. So gosh, you guys, that's two and a half hours. Hopefully you enjoyed that recap. Um, and I think I'm going to cut it here and I think I'm actually going to answer the Instagram questions on the next episode so that I can talk sort of more in depth without it being a four hour podcast episode. So Again, I want to give a huge shout out and a big thanks to Adam and to Frank. Without them, this seriously would not have been possible. I don't know how people do this race solo. A lot of people did. Um, it's it's challenging in and of itself. And to do it solo without pacers and without crew, my hat's off to you guys. Thank you to all of you guys that followed along. I really enjoyed getting your emails and getting your text messages and your DMs and just knowing that you guys were watching and keeping track. Um, it was, it was awesome because I, I, at there were many points where I told myself, you can't stop now. Everybody's watching. Everybody's paying attention. Um, I did get some messages from people who thought I had stopped, but they didn't realize that I was sleeping. So I was staying still for a prolonged period of time and they thought, oh no, she's out. Nope. I was just sleeping. (laughs) Um, yeah. So next time I will answer questions, all those questions that you submitted via Instagram and, um, I did it, you guys. I ran 200 miles. Now, I guess the the big question is, what's next? That's still to be determined, but as soon as I know, you guys will know. That's all for this episode, you guys. Enjoy this beat, and I'll see you all soon.